0: Welcome to the
1: RevTech Revolution podcast. Today's episode is hosted by Betsy Peters. She is joined by Mike Fazio, head of marketing and RevOps at LSQ. They talk about how CRMs have evolved into systems of action, how to get started in RevOps, and how machine learning will push CRMs to the next level. All of this and more on the RevTech Revolution podcast. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Mike Fazio. I'm currently the head of uh, revenue operations and uh, currently the uh, he- interim head of marketing. Uh, hopefully, we'll make that uh, permanent soon. And I work for LSQ. LSQ, uh, revolution. we're working on revolutionizing access to working capital for businesses. Um, I've been there for a little over a year um, and uh, based in Atlanta, spent a lot of time on uh, the stuff we're about to talk about just in uh, various software companies and uh, worked as a consulting companies as well, as well along the way. That's great.
0: So when you say um, revolutionizing access to working capital, is it for any certain type of company? Is it small businesses, large businesses, everything in between, or who do you usually work with?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. So we have solutions, I mean, across the board, right? Everything from uh, AR financing type solutions for smaller and mid-sized businesses, up to supply chain financing uh, uh, solutions for large enterprises, right? And that allows large enterprises to take control of their uh, of their working capital, um, same way that does a smaller supplier, right? I need cash today to pay payroll tomorrow. We can we can help with that, right? As opposed to a giant company might say, Hey, I need my my quarter to to do better i need to make sure that i have more cash flow to and reinvest in the business right we can help with all those types of solutions
0: cool so you're serving yeah. a range of different masters it sounds like and <laughs> yes. uh, that can be a challenge when it comes to setting up a crm um although i will say for the listeners mike's been at this for many many years so i'm eager to hear kind of your perspective as a veteran um you, i I heard you built a web-based CRM as an intern. So let's start there. Tell me about <laughs> okay. how did you get into this crazy game of CRM and what what attracts you to
1: it? Yeah, we'll get in the Wayback Machine and uh, yeah, right and see some crazy stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I, this was nothing spectacular. Like it wasn't uh, it wasn't like an early Mark Benioff by any means. Um, but uh, yeah, my my it was actually my dad was working for a software company in uh, Delray Beach, Florida, and. Um, and they needed, uh, you know, like a simple CRM type you know, solution. They were just using spreadsheets and what people had in their, you know, Outlook. Um, so I think I ended up teaching myself uh, like MySQL and probably Perl because I had a buddy who was like, use used Perl. I was like, okay. Um, and so I built this, you know, it, it worked, right? You could get data in, you could get data out. Um uh they loved it at least in theory uh they ended up merging with a company i think a few months later who already had a home homegrown CRM with the data so they ended up using that one um probably infinitely better than what i made but uh it was uh it was good experience a uh, good good to uh, to see it in action but.
0: well so it makes sense how you got your start helping out your dad but what what hooked you why did you stay in it for this long
1: yeah i mean i think that's maybe the maybe the theme of uh of my career was uh always be willing to jump into something new and and see what happens right um you know i went from uh from from there uh ended up working there as an intern for a little while just kind of odds and ends around doing various things um i was a little on on the uh sort of like geeky but creative world right and that's again sort of a theme that we will kind of tease out so I ended up uh, getting a different internship with uh, a buddy's dad this time with a much larger company called DataCore Software and uh, came in as, you know, sort of marketing, right? So doing uh, website, uh, other graphics, uh, PowerPoint presentations, you know, kind of that standard creative stuff. But um, they also knew that I was kind of geeky as well. So I ended up getting pulled into, um, into Salesforce, um, their Salesforce instance by sale, the head of uh, America sales I just kind of, it just kind of clicked, right? Of like, wow, I can do these cool tech things while still also doing some marketing stuff. While, you know, learning more about the business, and and that evolved into marketing technology. You know, kind of doing some some early vendors on. We picked some ridiculous vendor that was terrible. Um, instead of Marketo, so we we, we <laughs> I got a, I got a, a a demo of Marketo, and and uh, it was it was when Marketo still looked like you were kind of like scrolling uh, the the data. You're like the back end of your OS. Like it was just a terrible UX, but it was cool. But I'm like, listen, we're trying to support a, an international marketing team. Most of our marketing team was in Europe. And I'm like, I I'm not going to teach all these people how to basically be like an IT ad, back end admin to, to send some emails, right? This is silly. So it was other, other technology. I don't remember it now, um, but it was it was okay. We sent some emails. They had maybe some landing pages, but again, it was like whatever, a few years later, Marketo we reached back out and we're like, okay, let's try it again. And they actually had like reskinned it, and it was like, okay, we get it now. I also had a little bit of a bigger team. I think there was probably three or four of us, and so we onboarded Marketo, and that was just a cool jump into the world of marketing automation. What does it mean to do lead scoring? You know, how do we actually get sales to be okay with the fact that we're not just gonna give them a bunch of you know terrible leads all the time? Because we still have leads, like oh, we can call somebody, so it's better than nothing, right? It's not. It's not better than <laughs> <that thing. laughs> just you know uh, little little you know, sneak preview. It's not. <laughs> yeah, sneak yeah. preview. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Um, so yeah, I mean that got you a little further than your question, I think. But uh, yeah, Steve No, it's, it's in so.
0: And, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of think about how things have changed from the beginning of CRM and you know kind of the advent of the digital age, right? And where we are today. So you know, kind of in, in your broad brush across that time, how would you characterize the development of this technology and how it's helped businesses like yours or the ones you've been involved in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm probably not going to be fair to uh, any of the other CRM solutions because I've been a Salesforce person uh, unintentionally for many years and then intentionally for a number of other years. Um, And really like it, it, It's gone from this sort of like Rolodex, like, okay, it's a CRM, it's a customer relationship management solution. You kind of put some data about your customers, maybe some of your prospects, maybe do a little, you know, forecasting here or there, to really this like system of like a system of record, like a real simple kind of system of record, to like this system of action, right? So for me, where I've seen Salesforce specifically come in and be the most valuable part is is that it's sort of forcing this it's sort of forcing all of these other tools to give me structured data that i can then do something with you know i can i can then i can make sure that the data all goes into the right records the right objects and then other you know tools whether it's like part out that's part of it or like marketing cloud or whatever we want to call it today can send emails and do automations i can do automations and do different data inside of salesforce and then i can push that data back out to like outreach or sales loft or one of those tools right um, I can also feed that data in a nice, clean, structured way back to my data lake and let the, the data scientists do stuff with it. So, really, for me, it, that's kind of where I feel like you know the idea of CRM has come from. I think maybe what we what the name more implies to this sort of system that is in the central of center of go to market action activity.
0: It's a it's really nice framing which you just gave that concept of like system of record to system of action, and. <clears throat> Where would you say that um, they fall today, they meaning Salesforce, on delivering on that promise in terms of system of action versus system of record? Because, of course, we're all software and we're all trying to make these things work, right? Yeah. But what's the reality of system of action? And and why are other applications like outreach and sales loft needed to deliver on the promise?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, it depends who you ask, right? If you ask a Salesforce sales rep, they're going to say, you don't need those other tools, right? They have, uh, Salesforce has their high velocity sales, right? Which, I mean, I, I demoed years ago, so it's probably a lot better than when I was, when I saw it. But but I think what has still made Salesforce successful and sort of needed in the central part for me is that I do have some very powerful, easy to use automation tools inside of Salesforce that I can do things with, right? Uh, that... That's very generic. Um, that I can I can have access to and, and not necessarily need a data scientist or a programmer to do, right? You know, these really this like flow is a very powerful automation tool that I can use to, you know, change data, clean up data, automate tasks in a way that, you know, that then serves up the right data at the right time to these other these other tools where teams can live in outreach sales loft or you know, your marketing automation platform or you know, any, any number of other, other tools. So, but, it, you know, I think they do play, I think Salesforce does try to play in like, we're the everything, but I, I don't know that I think the strongest is that core platform play. I think um, we'll see what happens with, uh, with some of these other tools. Uh, if they can, if, cause it, you, you, you get, you get outreach, you get sales loft, you get all the other like ancillary tools that are out there that are useful, that are powerful, but how do you deal with it? I know, um, how do you, how do you manage this cloud of other stuff? So like part of me hopes for a really good consolidation. Like I want Salesforce in the next few years to buy up a few of them and really make them stick and like, okay, this is going to be perfect. But I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. That this so, you, so
0: you like the monopolists. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, until think, they come asking know,
1: for a pay for an invoice, right? Me right.
0: There. Of course, for of course, make it yeah. easy for me, but don't make me pay for it. Yeah. Um, So you've got this another theme that I kind of am hearing from you is that you've got this interesting kind of one foot in tech and one foot in marketing has been your background and that you're appreciating the tools that allow you to not have to be super tech heavy. You get it. You understand automations, you understand structure and all of those things. But you want tools that allow you not to have to rely on an IT team, for example, and that kind of make that data move around and do what you need it to do. Is that fair to kind of summarize what you just said?
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Given what you're seeing today, is there a trend where the data is starting to get abstracted from the applications, where you think about the data layer separately from a platform layer, an application layer, that kind of thing? Sure. How does your team look yeah, at that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it does. And I think that's a, a good thing. You know, you don't necessarily want me digging too much into data because I will find a way to make it tell the story that I want it to tell um, whether that's <laughs> the real story or not. Um, that's why, you know, I appreciate that our team has you know some data scientists and we're investing in, in that, um, in that world. Uh, and I think we'll see, we'll see the fruits of that. Right. If, if And from the go-to-market standpoint, I think having it having the data as sort of its own layer managed by its own team, sort of owned by its own team, lets us get the most out of what that data is and again not lie to ourselves about what it's saying. From a system of action standpoint, you know, the way that I'm thinking about building a couple things internally is is you know customers are going to do certain things right and the data team is capturing all these activities whether it's you know visiting the you know opening the application to like transactions to you know whatever customers are doing and this sort of can happen across the board for anybody right i'm not going to be able to track all those itty bitty transactions and data points inside of salesforce i don't want to pay for the data i don't want to set it up but the data lake that's what it's there for that's what it does right we get inputs from all the different spots we can normalize it do some get some insights And then I want the data team to say, okay, you know, like here's, here's the Delta, here are the changes, right? This is the change in the behaviors, right? From a first layer, it's just like, give me a date the last time that's, or every time that someone, you know, whatever, does it, has some sort of transaction, give me that one date and maybe the, you know, so a couple small pieces of data. So I have the latest of what's happening. So I may be able to to have an automation that says, if this transaction hasn't happened in 30 days, start sending this p- customer email, right? Nurture them and say, here's the benefits of doing it. If you need any help, reach out, et cetera, et cetera. Right? The second layer down is looking, is asking the data team to go and like build some models and say, okay, I have some assumptions on what I think, you know, this lack of data, this change of data means. But one, I might be missing uh, trends that, it, you know, like machine learning might be able to find, right? I had a guy, um, a buddy of mine, uh, who who I hired at a previous company, um, Adam, he came in and built this really interesting uh, tool on um, on, a, on a tech stack looking at Pardot activities, right? So you could go with um, Salesforce Marketing Cloud Account Engagement, that's what it's called now, instead of Pardot we could use the api to essentially get the you know activities from part to see how many emails you're sending and you know form fills and things like that and so we could do with that data is you look at like form fills especially if you have a bigger company where you're actually getting you know multiple form fills a day or you know a number a week you feed it into that in this little program and it starts to do some modeling to say okay your standard form fills are you know, 20 a week or whatever up, you know, and here's kind of the normal range, 10 to 50 or whatever. Well, for the past two weeks, you've had zero. So I'm going to send you an alert and say something might be wrong with your site, right? Something's not, something is not right. There, there's an, anom- an anomaly here. So I think something even as simple as that can, can be powerful, but then you add that into like, you know, thousands of transactions and all sorts of other customer data and you can really get uh, much more actionable information from these heavier tools and then just tell us like alert us, Hey, this thing is happening. Now we can take action. I can alert someone. I can send an email. I can, you know, uh, send a Slack, urgent Slack to the whole company, whatever needs to happen. I can take that action. I just need the data layer to sort of be the intelligence and watch for that stuff.
0: That makes sense. That of course means that, you know, for people to use that and trust it and trust the data, you've had to shop a little bit about the models, right? And do some convincing to your end users. What's it like at LSQ right now in terms of your sales team feeling like they trust the data in your CRM and some of the cutting edge things that you're doing to try and enable them with insights? Um, How is that going? And and what have your challenges been along the way with data trust?
1: Yeah, and I think this even comes into like trusting the, trusting the tools themselves, right? Um, and I'm trying to think of, you know, in- internally, I feel like we have a pretty strong, pretty strong trust of the system and of the data because we haven't, you know, there. Uh, some of what I'm talking about, what I want to do, hasn't gotten there yet, right? There's some back and pieces are still building. So we have a pretty s- straightforward, you know, data model in Salesforce right now. Um, but one of the big things for me kind of getting back to sort of guess, building the foundation of making sure things are right. So people trust it is to make sure that, you know, all of my systems are talking this, speaking the same language, right. And I'm not getting these weird silos, right. Because what I can't have happen is I can't start sending out automated emails to prospects or customers that are going to make our team look silly, right? Like I don't want an email to go out to, you know, a late stage opportunity introducing a new partnership that might completely blow this big deal out of the water, right? So I need to make sure that in Salesforce, I know where an opportunity is. In Marketo, that, or this Marketo used to have, um, in Pardot, the, um, Pardot knows where that opportunity is. And so does outreach and all the rest of the tools, right? So that when we're building automation, we say, if something is in one of these staged opportunities, do not send this email because that is going to sink us, right? So ensuring that you know, our data is not going to, um, to make us look silly. Is sort of number one for me in, in trusting, right. Um, and any sort of automation that we're building. And I think that just goes like, that just goes a long way. The, the other part is making sure that, you know, we're dealing with, uh, duplicates well. So, uh, you know, we have, you know, we, we deal with a bunch of referral sources and when you get that kind of thing, it's like, you know, it's just like, it's just like territory management, right? Like you can't, you can't be messing with a salesperson's commission trick because you let this sale, this source kind of re come in and it was already assigned to this person, but this person didn't, didn't know. So they started working with them and now what happens, right? Like that kind of thing, you know, I think, I think making sure we understand as sort of RevOps leaders that our decisions and what we build inside of our, uh, inside of our platforms, has real, real, real world impacts on people's jobs and how they work and the paychecks they get at the end of the day. So that's a little bit of a roundabout way to kind of get back to your, your point there. But I think, um, it's a big, it's a big thing that I think about making sure people trust the data and the, and the tools.
0: Um, it sounds like you've, you've touched on this, but just to dig one layer deeper, is there any way to have trust in the data without like a really rigorous data quality program that you put in place?
1: I mean, define rigorous. I think it's, <laughs> um, I think you can't, you, you can't drive yourself completely crazy by, uh, you know, getting into many of the things um, at the same time. I think it's a hierarchy, it's, it's a prioritization like anything else.
0: It sounded like you prioritized duplicates, which makes a lot of sense. What, what is in your hierarchy uh, for data quality in general?
1: yeah i think duplicates are huge um for me i've seen duplicates be potentially large problems when for instance if i go back to the opportunity situation right if i have a duplicate i might you know in as a as a lead and as a contact as part of an opportunity that person might be you know um in the opportunity might might be uh, excluded from the email but the person who's the lead at with the same email address is not right and they still get the email um, that was a big problem with one of the changes that Pardot made a few years ago is so it was like wait so if, if the person who shares the same email address one of them can be opted out the other person won't be like that doesn't make that doesn't work for me right I can't like you're, you're killing me here um, <laughs> and so that's a big that's a big thing is like if you know this person is is in the system they need to have one record um, or you're going to do silly things. So duplicates are big. I think um, understanding your needs for account ownership, contact ownership, it's also gonna get into I mean, I'm thinking about scaling, right? It's, it's a, so my big thing is scaling. And part of scaling is making sure that like territories make sense. That, you know, um, you know, we have a few different teams that do a few different things. I don't necessarily want team A to be able to dabble in team B's records, not because I think people are inherently going to do something intentionally bad, but I think people make mistakes and I don't want them to make a mistake in this other opportunity, right? So uh so yeah, I I think I think it's uh those are sort of the top. I mean that kind of off top of my head. Um
0: is there anything Mike, um so you guys have customers over probably a long lifetime, right? In terms of in terms of multiple years of a relationship. Is, is there anything that you think about in terms of data quality when it gets to like year five or year six or year seven, that's important to you in terms of multiple opportunities and multiple people from the buying committee and the implementation group and all of that. So anything there that you use as a rule of thumb about data quality when it gets real complex?
1: And we, we, we certainly do, uh, you know, we, we do a fair amount of, you know, like cross-sell work and, and, you know, different opportunities for the same people. Um, Even some of the data that we we start with is, is suspect. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know that I have necessarily a rule of thumb. I think, uh, I think one of the, one of the things that we're talking about with our data team is, you know, do we want to engage with, uh, you know, maybe use their help or maybe just get a, a tool directly in Salesforce to to look at you know more massive, mass um scale uh uh enrichment of data, right? Just make sure, hey, go through and clean it up if we haven't touched it in X amount of time.
0: Well, let's shift gears just a little bit from data back to applications. And um your thoughts about this explosion you talked about a little bit with new RevTech applications. How do you think about the trade-offs there? Like, what are important things to consider when you're adding new tech to an existing stack?
1: I think it works. It works both ways for a new stack or, or an old stack. Um, yeah, I mean, we've all seen an explosion of of, of the application, of, uh, yeah, applications and, and and solutions out there, right? There's the um, uh, chief martech tech uh, blogger who kept making the bigger and bigger eye charts of just the mark, just what he calls marketing technology. Right. And then you slap on all these other sales tools. Sales on top of those. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit ridiculous. Um, and I, I mean, for me, I think what's important is, um, I, again, I, I have to go back to like, if it's not going to communicate well with Salesforce, this, they're not a strong API connection. I'm just, I can't deal with it. You know, maybe if I, if when, you know, when, and if I'm ever at a billion dollar company and I have a huge team of people, maybe we'll talk, right. I could build my own integrations and I've helped some, some large companies do that kind of thing before. But for me, it's, uh, you know, the appeal of some of these is like, uh, it it is like, do you under, can, can you work with campaign membership in Salesforce? Can you work with opportunities in Salesforce? can I trust that your sync isn't going to blow things up or, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't go and deal with sync errors every day. I just don't have time. Um, so I want to make sure we get it set up once, set it, set it up well. And yeah, occasionally stuff is going to go, go wrong. You have to play with it. But for me, that's a huge part is I need to make sure it's all going into my system of action. So that can be true for whatever your system of action is. Um, everything has to communicate there. And then it's just sort of digging in and trying to find, um, what are the nuances of the platform right they all have their own kind of claim to fame they're all trying to make their own market category you know i've demoed uh six Sense and and terminus and uh, and demand base and zoom info all for sort of like you know marketing uh targeting for advertising and, and abm plays and intent data and they all have their own thing right and uh and it really comes down to what is your what is your business vision you know, what is the business trying to do? Um, and does it fit for what, what those, uh, what that platform is, is focused on, on providing. Right.
0: For sure. As you're going through those, you know, demos, et cetera, in the back of your head, are you thinking about, okay, how could I leverage existing technology to do this by moving data around better? You know, like yeah. what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts around that?
1: you know, as we've, as we started off, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a tinker. Like I, I like, I will build my own stuff just because it seems kind yeah. of fun. That's obviously changed a little bit, you know, as I've gotten kind of higher up and I can't like spend as much time getting in there, although I still want to go build some flows and do some stuff. Um, so that's where I start personally. It's like, okay, what, what is available to me? Right. Especially knowing that I have these large, you know, these powerful tools already, can we do what we need to do? but then I, then I needed to ask, like, is that scalable? And am I going to, you know, be mad at myself in a year when I realize that I built this thing and now we're stuck with it and it's not great. So I'm always trying to think of scaling and building to the, towards the future. And that's going to be a big part in, um, am I hacking something together just to get it done? And cause I want to not spend the money or do I actually think this is good enough and scale enough s- scalable enough and like replaceable or upgradable, um, in the future.
0: That makes sense. Um, tell me a little bit about you've made your decision. You want to bring something new into the stack. You think it's the right thing. What do you go through in terms of heuristics to make sure it's right? Make sure it's, you know, essentially going to generate some ROI as well as, you know, give you scalability and all the other pieces you need.
1: Yeah. Again, I mean, I, I go back to you know, m- making sure that I understand where I see the business going and how we're going to get there from like a, you know, a high level a business standpoint before I even like think about the tools. And then obviously, you know, I do, I, 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 I try to get as many demos as I, as, as I can, you know, stand. Um, I try to ask as many hard questions as I can to the sales team, knowing that they have their, their script and they're going to paint things in a certain light and try to drive you to certain answers. Um, but I really just try to like get past, Okay, like you're acting like my friend right now and I appreciate that, but I need you to tell me the truth about what this specific technology thing is. And if you don't understand it, we're going to have to talk to a solution engineer or someone on your your, your support team. So from that aspect, I, I do appreciate when a, team, when a vendor brings in like their customer support reps or something like that, you know, because um, so, they can typically speak a little bit deeper into what some of these things are because it all looks real shiny on the demo until you dig into the details. And then if I can find anybody in the community, and a part of part a big part of this is like is, is community and, and trying to figure out okay, what what have you seen, what have you, you know, where do you fall where is this falling short for you? Where is it excelling for you? And again, trying to fit those things into, you know, my my business priorities.
0: How often do your requirements when you begin a journey like this evolve? Uh, and by how much? As you're learning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot, usually. I mean, I'll give you an example. Just just recently, we, we switched um, to a different ABM intent platform. You know, I thought I wanted something a year ago, and it didn't turn out to be, you know, the platform was a little lacking, sure, but it was also just different than what I think we really wanted. Um, as I went through, you know, a couple of the big platforms, I, I, I started seeing that, what I was looking for was actually more of a sales platform um, than just sort of like marketing, you know, by itself, because I think, you know, without getting into one whole other topic that marketing sales alignment is just huge. I mean, I think that's why we have RevOps is because we're, you know, it's silly to have marketing ops and sales ops in their own silos and we're all doing the same thing. Um, especially with data, like we're all using it's it all needs to be together. Right. Right. And so, uh, so, yeah, I think I went in expecting kind of one, one thing and came out, um, much with a, with a, a, a tool that, that goes, that goes, uh, closer to again, where I think the the business vision, uh, is taking us. So
0: just to backtrack a little, tell me about how RevOps became a thing at, at LSQ or was it always, you know, how did you get that alignment?
1: Yeah. So I, I. <laughs> it's a f- funny story. Um, I sort of did it from the outside of LSQ. Um, so before I, 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 joined my buddy has been, uh, working at LSQ for, um, five or six years. He was head of marketing. Um, and, and we were kind of chatting. Um, I was thinking about maybe something, something new in my horizon. And I said, Hey, if you're looking for like a RevOps person, I might be interested in talking. Right. And we kind of talked a little bit about what that would be and whatever. He's like, yeah, you know, okay, I'll, I'll let you know, whatever. So um, we kind of stopped chatting. A few months later, he calls me back and says, yeah, my 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 boss uh, is looking for, we want to do like make a, a RevOps um, role. And I'm thinking, well, I know somebody who might be uh, willing to talk about that. Um, and so really they, they kind of brought in the i like I would like to believe that I put the rev bug in 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 his uh, in his head, but he yeah my my current boss Bakas Shah is a um, a really smart revenue leader so he he gets it he gets the the um the need for it so I'm sure he brought it up on his own but yeah, so I, I joined and and started it off. I mean you know he they hired me straight out as the you know, head of revenue operations um to say go and and build this thing for us so and then I've gotten that sort of the way to do it. Um, you know, a big part for me was, I mean, I think what we've all seen is just one, getting getting the tools together, getting a handle on Salesforce and what's happening there, making sure you're getting back to your, your question of trust before, right? The system, when I inherited it, had been kind of going through a few admins. wasn't really much, you know, my, my buddy who was the head of marketing was also trying to be the admin and just was like, it was too much. Um, a lot of hands in the pot, pot. A lot of older automations that were built out that just would like break for random reasons. And so, you know, I wanted to make my life easier, so I fixed all those things. <laughs> like, ripped out this, ripped out that. You know, cleaned up a bunch of permissions and all that kind of, kind of stuff. Um, I actually found, um, I got lucky. There was a a, a lady in my team, uh, Tabitha, who um, who's just great. She she you know didn't have any like rev ops training or, or whatever. She was just sort of like had figured out Salesforce and do could do reporting and and data imports and stuff like that. And, uh, I realized she was in sort of a role that was like undefined. I was like, I want her to be on my team. And that's sort of been, you know, so, um, she's really helped. She's really jumped in and, uh, and and has become a great admin, um, over the past year, uh, and just helped with a ton of stuff. So really it, it, was just sort of cleaning up a lot of technical debt as the first part, getting our tech stack in order, and then trying to build that trust again around Salesforce and these, these platforms to where now the team uses it day in and day out. We have, you know, we run all of our dashboards, you know, we have our weekly pipeline calls, a lot of Salesforce dashboards, um, weekly reports, the whole deal. And it's sort of not questioned on, this is the data. This is right. If you, you know, if you want your deal to make, to, to be on the board, it has to be in Salesforce in the right way. Um, and we constantly try to just make that easier for people. Um, as much as possible. It's kind of been it's been an interesting year growing growing and building the brand new uh, team.
0: That's great. it's It's interesting, kind of a theme again, that's been running through. We've had a couple folks on the podcast who have talked about this new concept, at least new to me, called technology Quotient. So like eQ for emotional and i q for intellect, now it's about technology. And the RevOps team seems to have this like balance of all three or needs to have a balance of all three. So how do you think about that? And, um, what are you looking for in talent for your RevOps team? And then as a corollary, where do you think the new salesperson has to go with that balance?
1: Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's a great question. when I heard, when I heard that on the podcast, it, it got me thinking because, um, so, uh, a previous company I worked for, Circonte. Um, my friend, uh, uh, Andrew Terrell, started it um, back in 2017. I was employee number one, and we uh, we started, you know, building this this company. And we're starting to hire some people. And we started like, okay, we need to be intentional about who we're hiring and why, right? So we sat down and kind of started writing some things out, and we're like, there's still something else about about these people that we're hiring that is like working. And we sort of looked at, at our backgrounds and we both kind of came from this place where we, we learned, we had like a certain amount of business acumen is what we called it, um, where we understood, understood how businesses worked. We got we were both really fortunate to work at companies that were, you know, m- sized and growing, but have like direct access to top leadership, you know, the CEO and, and the rest of the team. And so we got to really dig in deep early on to understand how business works on top of that, we're both geeks, right? So we like to get into the nitty gritty and build flows and build, you know, automations and talk about data. And, um, and there's this whole, this whole piece, but we also kind of like marketing and being creative, right? So for us, we realized that there's this like marketing, traditional marketing role, right? And then, and, and they're the people who make the campaigns and do the creative writing and understand how business, how business works and how it flows and, you know, do all that kind of traditional marketing stuff. And then specifically which, is, we're, which we're has thinking, always
0: had an analytical component, right? It's not, you know, sure. it's not just creative. Yeah. Right. The best direct yeah, marketers absolutely. were the biggest data geeks, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And 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 so so you have this sort of traditional marketers, and then you have like these tools, right? So like IT is gonna own tools because who doesn't, you know, that's what IT does. They own tools, they provision them, they deal with users, they deal with permissions. That's what IT does. Well now yep. you have this sort of like marketing technology that comes about and it's this merge of these two things and like it sure you can get them involved but they're going to be too slow right they just they they're doing what it does they're making sure we're, we're compliant and doing all that good stuff but these aren't scary enough systems to necessarily require all of that and so you and, and and then you have you know marketers who some of them are like well what the heck is this is this tool like i'm i'm trying to go do my data my, my own data analysis somewhere else now you want me to use this tool to send emails and create landing pages? Like what the heck is going on? Well, we found that there's certain people who have both that business acumen and this technical geekery, and it works really well in this sort of you now the RevOps space because it's sort of been marketing sales and smushing us all together. What I really think is interesting is that we we grew the first. So I it was it was Andrea and myself, and then we grew and hired a succession of, I don't know, it was probably like five or six women. Unintentionally, it's just sort of what happened. And then we finally got another guy whose name was also Mike. So it got really weird there for a while. There was just two guys who are named Mike and then there's all the rest were, were women. It was a very strange dynamic. But um moral of the story, what I what I what my theory is that marketing and marketing operations and now uh, and now revenue operations is a gateway to allow to help women who are sort of traditionally kind of pushed out of like IT and engineering type roles to still have to get into this more geeky role where now, well, you've got, you know, marketing operations, we also have Salesforce and Salesforce is very inclusive and very much bringing people in, in the forefront. So I think that's a really interesting, that was really interesting for me as a hiring you know manager to see like, these these really smart geeky women who, again, may, maybe maybe not. I'm just assuming that based on the history of education and kind of how we got here. Stem, as, stem, um,
0: does stem, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, like I feel like that's really been interesting. Um, that's
0: a yeah. It's a cool observation. It's a cool observation. I also see, um, at least in my history, that people who do product development. Uh, do also do well in RevOps. Because really what you're talking about is a bunch of feedback loops, right? And there's nothing, uh, you know, RevOps is feedback loops on steroids, right? So um, it's an iterative, hopefully it's an iterative system that allows you to learn quickly. And it's ultimately a big learning platform if you do it right um, about the customers that you want to have and the customers you do have. So I think that's really interesting. Um, So tell me about, Folks who might be young and just getting into this game, what's your best recommendation about how to get started?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I'm gonna go back to what I just said. Under you know, do what you can to understand how business works. Get into that, right? Understand understand that the the fundamentals of business. Get maybe even get some of these like entrepreneurial books that come out. There's like uh, like traction and uh, there's a number of them, right? Read through some of those and just get that. You know, cash flow is important and all these you know all these other things, right? And then, you know, more generically, just always be curious and ask questions. Right? Never lose that. I always question what's what the status quo kind of thinks. But starting out, though, I think um, you know, I think Salesforce uh, it is has a great community for this sort of this this for RevOps people, right? Because one, it's very inclusive, very open. There's a lot of free training resources around it, and it can really get you into the the community and um and it's sort of like a gateway to these other these other tools and things so um yeah i would say I understand how business works get into you know get into salesforce and find some other of those kind of free trainings I uh, i feel like salesforce is a really, a really solid platform to start so i don't know that's yeah, I think, what i got
0: i think that's uh, I think that's excellent advice and i totally agree with you in terms of their approach to the market and developing community and making sure it's an inclusive community. So that's a huge plus for Salesforce as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to ask you to be a futurist. So like, let's fast forward five years. Yeah. Is data its own layer of the tech stack? Uh, What else are we thinking about when it comes to applications or platforms or sales and marketing and all of those things? What's your predictions about the future?
1: Yeah. Okay. I think um, yeah, so as far as the, as far as the future goes, right, I, I think I mean, I think data is its own layer right now. I think it, it's only going to continue as far as what that looks like in five years. I mean, I think there's just an interesting thing. There's a, this idea of, of machine learning and building models is going to be more more commonplace to where you know it's going to be like, okay, well, what does the model model tell us that we need to do right now, right? You know, if you look at like Six cents, right? They they're all about their machine learning model um, that looks at, you know, well, we think that uh, your prospects are in this stage of the buying cycle right now. Uh, like that, that to me, I think is really interesting. And if you can take that even on your own your own data, I think that'll really help you win. Just to to, to pull out, you know, customer retention. You know, what are your customers doing before they want to leave? How long, You know, what are your customers doing when they stay? How do you encourage that behavior? Because I think that you know, RevOps can't just stop at close one opportunity, right? So we got to make sure we're thinking 100%. about retention and, and cross sell. And again, like what what you know, how do we bubble up and see what the right cross sell opportunities mm-hmm. are, um, and get that in front in front of us. And then, um, you know, and, and and continuing to to dig into seeing, you know, maybe ripping the data out of out of CRM, dropping in the data lake, and giving us a better idea of what what are our best chances at, at success. Right. I think there's a, the external data models like Salesforce Einstein, And, you know, obviously they mentioned Sixth Sense has their deal, but I think if you can have your own model, I feel like that's going to be even more powerful. Um, and I think that's because going to be more accessible.
0: Yeah. Everybody's customer journey is different, right? So having, having something trained on big data versus your data is important.
1: Yeah. And, and I think both of those tools promise to use your data as well, but I just, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, I think the real key is in five years will be you'll still want some sort of a data scientist or someone to give you an idea of, of like, are you on the right track? But you'll be able to do a lot more of it yourself, right? Um, you won't need a whole engineering team to build these things out. It'll be more like a, like a Salesforce flow kind of idea, right? Like it's it's technical. You need you to know what you're doing, but a lot more people can get to it. Sort of, you know, democratizing big data access, at least where I'm hoping,
0: right? Yeah, it's interesting. I went to an O'Reilly conference on AI three years ago and went to the Microsoft booth and they said by 2024, which was his prediction, you will be able to open up Excel and all the data models you'll need will be in Excel. I was like, all right. <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> Clock's ticking. Good,
0: good promise, right? Like, let's get going, yeah. guys. <laughs> anyway, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, when you have a prediction, you got to do 20 years because then you can say anything. And it's like, well, maybe. right, maybe right.
0: That. right, right, right. Absolutely. Then you get, to, then you get into the realm of science fiction, which is more fun anyway. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: All right. Um, anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with in terms of encouragement? Cause sometimes it can get, um, you know, it can be a slog getting, getting your yeah. salespeople to trust you and getting the data quality issues slain and you know, all of that, any, any words of encouragement for somebody who's been there, done that.
1: You know, recently my, my, uh, my boss, because, you know, mentioned, uh, you're know, making, making some big bets, right. Cause the day-to-day stuff is, is always going to kind of happen, but like, what are the things that kind of make, make you stand out? And I think that also layers well with just this idea that sometimes you got to make a decision and go with it. Really? Like that's, that's the best thing I can, I can give is like, go through, make the best decision that you can and, and, and give it a shot, right? Let everybody know that maybe this is just a test, right? Like, Hey, we're going to give this a shot for the next six months or a year. If it's terrible, please let me know. You're going to have to just learn to be okay with it. like, if it sometimes it's going to, it's going to be terrible and you're going to make the wrong decision and you're going to go back and you're fi- fix it. Right. You know, there's a, there's a quote that I keep, um, that I keep on my Slack. Uh, that's something like, um, you know, success is, is about routinely absorbing manageable damage, um, while avoiding like catastrophic, you know, failure or something you're like you know completely getting destroyed um and it's true like i I do silly things or or you know whatever i've made some changes to the system that within a week or two it was like nope didn't go over well with the the users not gonna happen (laughs) revert
0: revert yeah exactly so
1: so yeah so you know make those big bets make the best decision you can and run with it don't get stuck in analysis by paralysis or process by analysis so those are the important ones that's what i got
0: that's awesome. And, you, and you've lived to tell many a tale, so all of those things yes. have served you well, obviously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: Awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate
1: it. Thank you. for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the RevTech Revolution podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues who would benefit from it. If you would like to learn more about how Reva can help you improve your customer data operations, check out RevaEngine.com.